0: The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily express those held by this station or its advertisers and are strictly the opinions held by those contributing to the show.
1: Welcome to the Eric Little High School Football Podcast, your home for news, discussion, and opinions
2: about high school football in the Middle ohio Valley. And now, here's your host, Eric Little.
3: Welcome to another edition of the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. I am the namesake. Thank you for joining us once again this week. This is Season 4, Episode 16, and it is a jam-packed episode. If you haven't already done so, like us on Facebook at the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. You can download new episodes every Wednesday on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. You could subscribe as well, so that way you don't have to go through the process of finding us. We just get plopped right in to wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll set up the brackets for all three classes in the West Virginia High School Football Playoff this week. Taron Malone joins to give his thoughts and you'll hear from Ritchie County Head Coach Rick Hot and Williamstown Head Coach Chris Beck ahead of their matchups this weekend. Ritchie County takes on Clay Battelle. Williamstown takes on Greenbrier West. Both of those teams are at home for those matchups on Saturday afternoon. But let's get into last week because it does set up the postseason quite nicely. Parkersburg South got the biggest win of their season, earning their way into the playoffs with back-to-back wins to go from 3-5 and to 5-5. and The latest was a 45-28 win over Princeton. Have a day or Robert Shockey. Five touchdown passes to four different receivers. They also got a rushing squad of Shockey who racked up 390 all-purpose yards. The defense allowed 416 pass yards to Princeton quarterback Grant Cochran, but he's one of those guys that honestly is probably in the top five as far as best quarterbacks in the state. You just have to figure when you play him, he's probably going to get his, but what else can you do and what can you take away from that team? They had trouble running the football and South stopped Princeton when they needed to stop them. With a defensive line that's been riddled by some injuries this season, Parkersburg's South was able to keep Cochran on the move. They really had trouble protecting Cochran, which seems to have been an ongoing theme for them this season at times. They won their first five, had some COVID issues, and then lost the three after that to finish off the season. So they're getting into the playoffs at 5-3. and So they're not coming into the playoffs on the strongest note. But if you're Parkersburg South, that's still a quality win over a five-win playoff team. And Princeton's got the weapons to make a run themselves. For Parkersburg South, this has been one of the strangest seasons in recent history. This team was 3-2 and going into the scheduled matchup with Bridgeport on October. October 1st. That didn't happen because of COVID issues, and then there was the bye week. So South came out, and to come out after a two week shutdown and have to face the two teams they did, Morgantown and Cavill Midland, not easy. Both those are running teams. South looked very sloppy in a missed opportunity. 21-14 loss to Morgantown. And then the next week they just didn't match up well against Cavill Midland. But credit South and credit head coach Nathan Tanner for keeping this team's head in the game and getting that locker room. A young team, by the way, they'll only lose two starters, but keeping them in the game, keeping them focused, keeping them prepared Prepared for Wheeling Park. They go up to Wheeling, pull the upset, get the victory, to set up a chance to get into the playoffs, and they take advantage of it, winning 44-34 over Princeton. Another team that had a chance to play their way into the playoffs, not able to take advantage of it, Tyler consolidated. They finished up a season at 6-4 and four after St. Mary's upset them 36-16. St. Mary's had nothing to play for other than getting a winning record and winning in their regular season and eventual season finale. But St. Mary's picks up the win at Bill Hamlin Stadium. Josh Roush. How about this? 31 carries, 316 yards, 3 rushing scores. He has been a revelation for this team this year, a guy they're very glad to have, and somebody that, to be honest, has become one of the best backs and the most reliable backs in this area and any class over the back half of the season. It was a battle of running backs because it wasn't just Roush, it was also Tyler Consolidated, Sean Winfrey, 18 carries, 197 yards, and 2 touchdown runs, but for Tyler, they fall just short. They were in a tie for 16th place with Gilmore County, and that came down to the 5th Tiebreaker. If you look at playoff procedures and tiebreaking procedures, and you often wonder, gee, why do they need five or six contingencies? It never comes down to that. Well, I believe West Virginia has seven or eight or nine or something like that. There are multiple tiebreakers, and I think the last one is a coin flip. If they can't decide it by any other metric, and this is after 10 games, mind you, if they can't decide who gets in and who doesn't get into the playoffs by any other metric, a coin flip eventually does it. It goes to show you how razor thin these margins can be. The fifth tiebreaker is what settled Tyler Gilmer for six. 16th seed, and it went to Gilmer County. So if you're looking for St. Mary's, we talked about them a lot last weekend as to why they didn't get into the playoffs. They didn't pick anyone off, and they missed some opportunities. Games against Williamstown or Roan County, that they probably should have won, and if they win those games, they're definitely into the playoffs. Either one, but especially Roan, they're into the playoffs. Uh, and this is definitely a team at 6-4 and four that finishes their season, and it's got to be frustrating for St. Mary's. They look at this 16-team field, and I guarantee you they probably think they could beat a dozen of those teams, and really, I'd give them 8-10 to 10 teams. Teams I think St. Mary's could beat out of this playoff field, and there's probably another three or four more that would be solid toss-ups against the Blue Devils, and the way St. Mary's played at the end of the season, you never know. They have as good a shot as anybody else, but unfortunately, they're going to have to sit outside and watch from afar. Title consolidated, it really is hard to see where they could have done a lot better. The Silver Knights had a tough start to the season, and mind you, this was a young team too. They lost a lot in graduation from last year, and then to start 0-2 after back-to-back losses to Ritchie County and Doddridge County, they reeled off four straight wins, and got healthy and got rolling before a matchup with Williamstown on October 15th. They lost that one 42-22, but again, they were hitting as Williamstown was peaking. The Yellow Jackets were on a winning streak of their own. Tyler comes back and beats Magnolia and beats Valley, and then the 20-point loss to St. Mary's. Magnolia was a team that was expecting to be a little bit better this year, and if they had been better, and Tyler consolidated still beats them, then you're looking at bonus points. I also know Work County was a team that was expecting to be better this year, and you don't get bonus points from them really either, because they ended up not having the season that they wanted to have. And St. Mary's, they kind of knew going into the year was a toss-up anyway, but if you pull that win, if you pull the upset against Williamstown, you're in. But really, they won the games they were supposed to and they lost the games that were toss-ups at best. And like St. Mary's, there were some games on their schedule to where if the opposition had been just a little bit better, a couple of those opponents had years that were not what they were expecting. If they had been able to get a little bit of that in their favor, they make the playoffs. So St. Mary's doesn't get in and neither does Tyler. As St. Mary's will pull Tyler out of the ranks of the field of 16 with that 36-16 to 16 upset win over the Silver Knights. A lot to build on in Kidwell for Ryan Walton and his Silver Knights. And give credit to this team. The defense pitched three shutouts. How often do you have a team that doesn't make the playoffs where their defense pitches three shutouts? They hold six teams. That's more than half their schedule to two touchdowns or less. But this was a tough year in Class A. Some good teams definitely left out in the cold. Tyler Consolidated and St. Mary's are two of them. Moving into Ohio, River upset previously unbeaten number 2, Burn Union 53-21 in a game that invoked the mercy rule in the final minutes of that contest. You don't often see that in a playoff game, but that's what happened with River and Burn Union. River racked up 455 total yards of offense, and the Pilots had their strategy of just chewing clock. Burn Union has a quick offense, and they scored on their first play from scrimmage, but River book ended that touchdown with long touchdown drives of their own. The first quarter stats showed River ran 25 plays to just one for Burn Union in the first quarter, and sometimes when you get a high tempo offense off schedule early on and out of sync, then they just never really fall back into place, and that seems to be what happened here. Cabell Isley, the River quarterback, just a sophomore, by the way, 10-13 to 13 throwing the ball for 195 yards and a touchdown. He also ran for a score. Three different running backs scored touchdowns for River and to be honest that is quintessential River football. That's their bread and butter. they got a quarterback that can throw a little bit, that can run a little bit. He throws more when he's a little bit more experienced but the sophomore Isley, a distributor in this offense, they got a good running game from three different backs and this is about as balanced a River game as you'd want to see out of this team in the playoffs as you'd expect to see from this team in the playoffs. So that sets up a great win on Saturday as River will take on Side in a third round matchup. Shadyside knocked off Waterford to advance to the third round. The final score there, 27-13 in favor of Shadyside. And that'll be in Martins Ferry as Ohio goes to the neutral sites from the third round on in the postseason. So Martins Ferry Saturday at 7 as River takes on Shadyside. I'll be honest, if I wasn't doing a game of my own Saturday afternoon, I would consider going to this game to see River and Shady Side. Shadyside. That, that's going to be a fun one on Saturday night. Ritchie County finished their season at 9-1, and getting the win over Calhoun. If you're looking at the Rebels, offensively a really balanced attack. Ethan Haught threw a touchdown pass to Gus Morrison. Morrison also ran for a score, as did Brandon Riddle and Marlon Moore. Actually, Riddle ran for two. It doesn't seem like a lot of the starters played beyond uh, midway through the third quarter. We talked a little bit about how Ritchie County has tightened up on defense in the last few weeks after allowing 20 or more to a lot of teams well, Calhoun scored their 20, but I got to be honest, all 20 of those came in the second half, 14 in the fourth quarter when you feel like the starters are probably on a bus getting ready to go back to Ellenburg At least they could have been halfway back for all intents and purposes. There's also this, for Ritchie County, you know you're going to get into the playoffs. You're 8-1. and Calhoun County is 2-7 and coming into the game, now 2-8 and as they finish up. You know that you're not really playing for anything on the field. It's pride, it's senior night, so you want to go out on a good note and you're going to give them your best shot. So against Ritchie County's backups, Calhoun put up some points at the end of the game in the fourth quarter. Big deal. I don't think that really tells us a lot about Ritchie County, to be quite honest. So they got into the playoffs. We'll talk much more about them as they match up with Clay Battelle, four seed, and honestly, I think they got a really, really good draw out of this Class A playoffs. Williamstown also rolls. The Yellow Jackets come away with a 53-6 win over Magnolia. Ricky Allen comes away with a couple touchdown runs in that game. Ran for 80 yards. The best news for the Yellow Jackets, they got Maxwell Molessa back from injury. He was knocked out of the lineup against Fort Fry on the very first series. Didn't play last week in Williamstown's win against Doddridge County. Melissa threw a touchdown pass to Logan White, ran for a score. Williamstown got to build some depth later in the contest. Jed Lane had a couple touchdown runs. Rex Anderson had a touchdown run. Kent Weigel had a pick six in the first half. All told, the Yellow Jackets racked up 364 total yards of offense and limited Magnolia to 150 yards of offense, and a lot of that came in the fourth quarter. Marcus Barnes had a 37-yard touchdown run to prevent this game from being a shutout. So Williamstown goes to the playoffs at 8-2. and two. They'll host Brown. East. The Williamstown-Greenbrier East and Richie clay games, both of those by the way, are Saturday afternoon kicks in Williamstown and Edinburgh respectively. You have to feel for Magnolia. They finish up the season at 1-8. and eight. They were expecting a lot better. They had a senior laden team, and sometimes you get injuries, and in this COVID era you get illness. Things don't work out. They had a couple games after COVID pause in late September that were close games, one-possession games that went back and forth with Frontier and with Union Local, and if they get both of those games, then I think it's a different 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 turnout of the season. If they get one of them even, it's a different turnout, and they're fighting till the end, but that's the ugly part of sports, is that sometimes things just don't work out the way that you want. Four picks for Magnoli in that contest, by the way. They lose the football game and have the season come to an end with a 53-6 loss. Season also ends for Parkersburg High School at 4 and 6. They got into a shootout in the panhandle with Musselman, and they come away a 56-52 winner. You're looking for some big numbers? How about them in this game? And they come from all over the place. Bryson Singer returned to kickoff, 74 yards for touchdown. Casey Stanley had a 72-yard pick six. Carter King caught another touchdown pass. So four games played this year, four touchdown catches for Carter King. This one, though, from David Parsons. Bryson Singer had a 58-yard run for a score for the Big Reds. Zadrian Snodgrass had a touchdown run. David Parsons threw three touchdown passes. We mentioned the King one earlier. Snodgrass and Andrew Stolniker, other recipients of touchdown passes, all told, the Big Reds had 446 total yards of offense. Outgained by Musselman still, 474-446. to six. The in the game, Musselman threw four interceptions. Singer finished up with 133 rushing yards for the Big Reds. Also had 94 receiving yards on just four catches. Not the season the Big Reds wanted, not the season Singer wanted, but Singer has a future in this game. I think you'll look at some of his total numbers in the contest. Between his rushing yards and his receiving yards, he had 337 all-purpose yards against Musselman, and that put his career total over 6,500. 6,508 total yards. That breaks Mark Kimes' record of 61-71. And remember, Mark Kimes had a lot more playoff games to play in than Bryson Singer. Singer didn't get to play in the playoffs last year or this year. COVID last year and the team's record this year, Mark Kimes was always playing 13 games in a year. So he's the all-time leader in all-purpose yards at Parkersburg High School. He's second all-time in rushing, third all-time in scoring. Singer's somebody that very much wants to play at the next level, and I think if you get into the nuts and bolts behind his situation this year, the reason that he did not play quarterback a lot this season the reason that he pitched it or whatever, I think that's the real story there. So a disappointing end of the season, but not a season, I think, that will decide his fate negatively. I think the smart coaches are the ones that see the athlete he is and find out the kind of person he is and how unselfish he is as a player by the fact that he was willing to go to Coach Mike Bias and say, hey, move me to receiver. Use me as a running back. Plug me in here. I can help us out, and I want to help us out, and I want to do other things to help this football team. Not everybody would do that, but Singer did. So I think if you're looking at him as a college coach. He's the kind of guy you want in your program because of that, and I'm sure the right person will come along and see Singer for that and see his season for that, rather than a season that isn't chock full of the numbers that maybe we expected to see early on. And also, Peyton City's season comes to an end as the Wildcats fall 46-20 to to Valley. They finish up at 2-8, and but most importantly, they finish up 10 games played this year for the Payton City Wildcats and head coach Robert Price. That deserves a shout-out. Kudos to that team for finishing Price's first season. They only played two games last year because of COVID. In a way, COVID impacted the numbers that they were able to draw to that program. But give them credit. They they finished the season. Hopefully, they're able to get some more people interested and build that program so it can grow to where people participate in football. And football can be an integral part of the fabric of Payton City, West Virginia, once again.
1: Stay connected with us on Facebook. Like our page, the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. While you're there, feel free to share your comments or questions. Eric will get to those on a future edition of the show.
3: Two area Class A teams are live in the postseason this week and they both play Saturday afternoon. First, it's Ritchie County at home at 1.30 p.m. They're a four seed against number 13 Clay Battelle, who comes in at 8-2, and two, Ritchie at 9-1. and one. Earlier this week, I had a chance to catch up with Ritchie County head coach Rick Hot and talk about his ball club's regular season finale and get his thoughts on the bracket and the match matchup against Clay Battelle. Coach, the back half of your season, in a lot of ways, you've had some games that allowed you to build some depth. Going into the postseason this year, how do you feel about this team's depth on both sides of the ball?
1: It has offensively. um, We probably had most of the stuff that we thought we wanted to run by midseason. and Even with the game last week, we were able to, one series, kind of went no huddle on another series. We went to a different formation. We haven't run a lot. And that's the only true, in my opinion, that's the only true test of how successful you can run something is against somebody else. And so we have had the opportunity to do that and get some different kids some different looks and as I mentioned uh, I thought the last three weeks we really focused on defense because we think that's where we can improve the most and that's kind of I think continuing this week so it has given us the luxury of making sure people stay healthy because if they're a little nicked up we have an opportunity to kind of rest them a little bit so I think we're going into the playoffs in a pretty good spot.
3: A 9 win regular season is a big deal for this program. Have you really had time to reflect on that though because you know there's still work to be done?
1: I think for the kids to me the, the aspect that's pretty impressive is, and if I'm not mistaken, because my memory's not very good, if we can get a win Saturday, it'll be the third year we've had a 10-win season. Anytime in football you get double-digit wins, you've had really good seasons. So somebody told me the other day that this freshman group that, that are now seniors, four years of high school, that's the first group in school history that's qualified for the playoffs each of their four years. You know, they made a mark on the football program here in the county.
3: That's a culture-changing move.
1: I'd like to think so. I, I do. Th- it's always a numbers game, and you're always, you know, want to get kids out. And, and it does seem like there's more of a positive attitude about kids that maybe are playing this year. They think, you know, I will play next year. So, and that's a good thing to get get your kids out and participate. I feel like you're building something that people want to be part of. It seems to. But the success that these kids have had in the playoffs and the attention that that gathers, I, th- I think that just leads to that interest too.
3: Looking at your opponent this week, Clay Patel. One of the knocks on them is, you know, they have eight wins, but if they're coming on the road this week and the knock on that is the quality of the wins do you think this is a team that's battle tested and are you battle tested
1: well you know i look back on our season early in the season tyler's really solid and you know you open up with them and then early on you you play a rival in saint mary's which you know is always well coached and we had to get ready for that and then the week after you know you go to doddridge and so during that stretch i think that's when we were battle tested where we had to week in and week out prepare for a, a very solid opponent and and uh, we, we, did, we got it done in all except the Doddridge game. Played well, but just could uh, not make that play that would let us win that game. And so, from that aspect, I, I think we're battle tested that way. And for Clay Battelle, it's not their fault necessarily that the teams they played struggled with them. And so, give credit to them. I, watching some of their film, I think, in a way, they're battle tested and watching some of their wins early on. You know, they had to overcome some things. And so, you know, I, I think they're going to come down here ready to play.
3: You mentioned talking about the defense and emphasizing defense. In the last few weeks. Have you seen uh, maybe a change in attitude around that group as far as more confidence, as far as a group that's more eager to get in there and work on that in practice?
1: You know, and they have responded well to what we've done. I thought I saw the, the largest improvement in our defense against Work County because we'd played a couple opponents like Doddridge and South Harrison who just kind of grounded it out. And we had trouble getting them off the field. And so we thought Work would come with the, the same strategy, and they did. And, and our kids really stepped up and shut Work down. And you know, I was really proud of the effort that they did The following Following week we went with stopping the run game to then playing Gilmer County who has a very explosive passing game and we were able to hold them to under 100 yards passing and, and kind of did a good job defensively. So I, I do think they're a little more prideful of what they're obtaining on the defensive side. What do they need to take away from Clay Battelle? We're going to be uh, undersized. Clay Battelle has really good size and up front we've got to be quick, the quicker team. We've got to get to the point of attack very well. They're going to line it up and come right at us. They're going to go unbalanced and, and just send a lot of guys to one area and, and we're going to have to find ways to get to the ball.
3: Offensively, is this team as healthy and as rolling and are things clicking maybe as well now as they've been all season?
1: You know, we've been fortunate all season to have not missed very many people. And so I I don't feel like we've really struggled with that. Even with the COVID, we've been pretty fortunate about not losing kids to quarantining and things of that nature. So like I say, we've had the key people that we needed all year, but we are 100% fully healthy going into the postseason. And you've been here before in the postseason with a lot of these same players. Do
3: you see the they're walking a little taller maybe and they come in with just a little bit more experience and understanding the situation of the moment than this time last year?
1: I don't know even with this time last year I thought last year's group did a pretty good job I can remember when I first took over I would look at uh, what Terry Smith had done at Williamstown things like that and I always thought that they always played their best ball during the playoffs and that they they build up to that I thought how do you get that mentality to where it's not a 10 game season because I thought our kids looked at a 10 game season and then if he's in the postseason it was kind of I didn't know if we handled that well. There's whatever's left in the tank at that point. Yeah, and for perennial playoff teams, they don't look at it a 10-week season. It's a extended season. You're just trying to get to it. And I told our kids uh, yesterday that, that last couple weeks I kind of felt like almost the point we've played the whole season to get back to the point where we are now. And and I wonder if, if that's not because at least for me, we weren't able to finish last season. I mean, as hard as the loss is in the playoffs, at least you finalize things. Very few teams got to finalize things last year in the playoffs, not just us you look at single way, a lot of the teams got kicked out and it was turned into a mess. And so I think for me, it's just now we're back to the point where we see how far we can go into the playoffs and how successful we can be. Is missing closure from last year a motivating factor this year? You know, it's not something that we talk about, but I do think for the kids that in the back of their mind, they would like to see how far they can go into this playoffs.
3: How do you go from taking this from a one-week thing to
1: a four-week thing? You know, there's a fine line there. You can't look ahead or you get upset so I know as coaches we've kind of mapped out I told the kids yesterday they've put themselves in a position to where as long as they keep winning they get us they get a play at home so uh, we haven't been in that situation well we, we were we were there two years ago we were the second seed team and we, we met the state champion in the second round you know Willing Central came here and we lost a close battle to them and so we were set up that way and so that's the way we are again that we get the opportunity to if we can get past Clay Battelle the next week we also look at someone else's coming here so it's nice to be in a situation to where you know you don't have to worry about the transportation, figuring out how to get on a bus and where to go, and all that goes with that.
3: That's Ritchie County head coach Rick Haught again. It's number four, Ritchie County at home against number 13, Clay Battelle at 1 30 p.m. Saturday. Also, Saturday afternoon, Williamstown welcomes Greenbrier West. The Yellow Jackets come in as the sixth seed at eight and two against number 11, Greenbrier West, at six and four. I had a chance to visit earlier this week with Williamstown head coach Chris Beck, and we talked a little bit about where the Yellow Jackets are going into the playoffs and what to expect in this opening round. Match up with Greenbrier West. You got a good win against Magnolia last week,
0: but perhaps most importantly, you were able to bring Max Melissa back. What does it mean to have him back before the playoffs? It means a whole lot. Max, of course, one of our best players on both sides of the ball offensively he adds a dimension to what we do defensively he's one of our top two guys on that side of the ball too i mean he's a difference maker and we have a bunch of really good players but i think when you get in the playoffs you gotta have a good team you gotta have a couple two guys that are kind of special and max is definitely one of those guys for us so having him back healthy and back to himself was a big big thing for us To have the game
3: go the way it went, you're able to build some depth as well. To be able to get a look at a lot of guys before the playoffs and see where they are late in the season, what does that do for your depth going into the postseason?
0: It does give you another evaluation of those guys. So our JVs played a a quarter and a half. Uh, Our first offense played 18 plays Friday night. So it does give me a, a reward for them too. So they had five JV games. As part of the third or fourth game, they've got some mop up duty in. So, anytime you get game experience for those guys, it's for the best. And for us, they've been in situations where maybe they were in our JVs or second third teams were in, but the other teams was not So, they're going against the best from the other side, which is good. It's a good experience for them. To your point, it lets us measure where they're at and lets us know going to playoffs who gives us some depth, who maybe um, has improved enough to help us on special teams make some of those decisions. And I was, I was happy to get everybody in. Did you find some new weapons or find some things that you'd want to use maybe I mean i don't know if anything surprised me so to speak um i'm happy with the progress all of them made uh, lincoln joy has been a guy had a great jv year but he's been playing our last couple of regular season games more so he's one of those guys as the season went on got more and more comfortable he's an athlete that's gonna help us on fridays and he has helped us on friday there's several snaps against doddridge where lincoln's out there we have six sophomores and lincoln is the freshman out there going at it and he's making plays and doing his assignment so we're pretty excited about that How how
3: important is Ricky Allen's emergence? Has that feature back been to this running game?
0: Uh, it's been game-changing, uh, offense-saving, whatever you want to call it. We knew in the preseason Ricky was pretty good and we were trying to look for ways to get him more touches. And with him and Trevor and Max, we knew we had three guys that we felt like could carry the ball and had game-changing playability. He just worked so hard. I mean, it doesn't surprise me just because He's one of our strongest kids. He's faster than what people give him credit for. He understands what we're trying to do. He executes it, and uh, he just runs hard. I mean, that's the thing with him and Max, they run hard. So he's had definitely more workload since that St. Mary's game than maybe what we anticipated, but he's taken it in stride, and just done a really great job playing at a really high level right now.
3: That seems to be how this program goes. I seem to remember a few years ago, Ty Moore stepped in midseason and for you guys became that feature back. How does that mentality work around here and how are you all so effective at getting people to buy into the next man up in a way that maybe others aren't?
0: I think our guys work so hard that they relish the opportunity. Yeah, I think in your heart of hearts, you put the team first, but I mean, I'm sure those backs, I know it's been that way for a while. Like, hey, if I was that guy, I think I could put up some yards too. And so I think they enjoy that challenge, that opportunity. And we make a conscious effort to, uh, in practice to make sure we're getting guys reps, that we're make sure we're working with everybody. I mean, you shouldn't come to a practice and see Ricky carry the ball 50 times, right? You should see Ricky, Max, you should see Colt, you should see Jed, Lincoln, all those guys getting touches. And that's kind of how we go about our business because um, I think we've learned a long time ago that if you want to be a really great program and you want to make runs, you better have some depth. You better have some depth in some key positions. And I think our depth this year at quarterback and running back and at linebacker, I mean, it's all paid off. I mean, like I said before, I don't know how many Class A teams could deal with some of the injuries we've had to deal with and be able to win some of the games we've been able to win. And that's a testament to our kids and how hard they work and that they buy into what we're doing.
3: How hard is it to not look at the draw and instead just look at the first opponent?
0: I think everybody has a tendency to look ahead a little bit. But for us, it's kind of you maybe take five minutes to look at that, the whole bracket, but then you just get ready for you're trying to get ready for for us it's green west traditionally a strong team have a lot of history there typically a very physical club we played them back in 19 we went there in the quarterfinals i believe jumped on them they came back it was a really good game i know they have a coaching staff that puts a lot of time in they have a coaching staff that has a lot of experience and they got some kids that are um, looking to make their mark to your point i mean everybody can look ahead but none of that happens unless you take care of business saturday i mean none of it can happen so for us it's one week out a time, getting ready, taking care of all the little things we need to take care of to give ourselves the best chance to win. How important is it that this is taking place on your mud instead of theirs this time? <laughs> I think really important. I think that it's a three and a half hour drive down there. I saw their field on film. Ours has held up much better. Actually, I think our fields, for this late in the year, our field's as good as it's ever been.
3: And I don't want to knock the people no, that, no. To, that take care of that. I'm just kind of making a, a joke about the uh, mud bowl because you guys played a really muddy situation down there in 2019,
0: right? There's hardly any grass. I mean, yeah. the field was brown. I and mean, I thought going into it, like, man, if you score two touchdowns, you're going to win. And it was a 34 22 game. So I was wrong on that account. I think being at home always helps. Being at home, keeping the kids in a routine, being in front of their friends and family, I think it's a good thing. It's an opportunity these guys should enjoy and relish is the chance to play a playoff guy home.
3: You say keep him in a routine, but then again, you're kind of thrown off by the fact that it's a Saturday afternoon game. What do you do to kind of adjust to that, and and how do you get guys prepared to play in a situation they've never played in this season, but to do so in a big game?
0: We've done it on the scrimmages, first scrimmage of the year is on a Saturday, but to your point, it is new. So we go about and just explain to them on Monday. This is the schedule for this week. This is how we're going to go about our business and don't we're doing. I'm a Friday night guy, and we always have been around here. But truth be told, we've traditionally, besides one time, played really well on Saturday afternoons over the last 22 years I mean we're playing Bishop Donahue here Pocahontas County we played a lot of Saturday afternoon games and there is some extra excitement I think on Saturday afternoons and our kids traditionally have uh, really responded well uh, you take the extra day to kind of heal up you take the extra day to prep so you your kids should have a pretty good idea what's going to happen Saturday afternoon and in the past that's been very advantageous to us I think that's one thing that everybody kind of worries about getting off schedule and stuff but traditionally you know like i said we've been uh We've been pretty good on Saturday afternoons.
3: A couple of pictures on the wall here depict Saturday afternoon games, don't they?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, the central semifinal game was Saturday afternoon. I mean, I can go through the list uh, Meadowbridge, Tucker County. For a long time, that's all people chose to play us. And hopefully, we, the same thing happens this Saturday. Hopefully, we come out, put our best foot forward, play some really good football, take care of business, and we won. If you do that, there's a chance you get to pick the time next week. There is. We would be able to do that potentially uh, as we go possibly to Baker and play a really good East-Tardy team, but we've got to take care of Saturday first. If we take care of business Saturday, maybe Saturday about 4 o'clock, I'll start thinking about that.
3: Again, that's Williamstown head coach Chris Beck. The Yellow Jackets host Greenbrier West Saturday afternoon. Looking quickly at all three brackets in Class AAA, some really good teams getting in at the bottom of the bracket. I've seen Parkersburg South win back-to-back games to get in, Wheeling Park and Morgantown, all those teams I've seen here in the last few weeks. South Charleston's a defending champion at number 12, and again, the one seed is 10-0 Huntington. Weird to see Martinsburg at 9-1. They lost to Spring Valley, and they may be one of the better seven seeds that I've seen in many years. So as far as draws go, you have to like the possibility of a Huntington-Martinsburg matchup on Wheeling Island. You also have to like a possible rematch between Martinsburg and Spring Valley in the second round. Spring Valley has defeated Martinsburg in the regular season each of the last two years, but a tough draw for a seven seed to have to go back against Martinsburg for a second time this year and the third time in two years. Princeton comes in at a 10 seed. I saw them just last week. A really good quarterback in Grant Cochran. They're going to give Spring Valley fits, although Spring Valley is a strong football team. George Washington, Greenbrier East is an evenly matched 8-9 game. Cabell Midland is a run-heavy team and not an easy draw for number 12 South Charleston. Woodrow Wilson University Woodrow's uh, Woodrow's got a win against Morgantown already this year? Can they do it against Number 4 University? And they may have the toughest draw. They got Woodrow Wilson at 5-5. Five and five. They have a couple big wins under their belt at 13. But if they win, they'll likely face South Charleston, and then they would have to get past Huntington to get a shot with Martinsburg. So that University team is 10-0 and a very good team, but a really, really tough draw. So I will not pick a matchup for the Super 6 for Class AAA because I am the play-by-play broadcaster of Parkersburg South High School, so I always try to stay away from making picks in games that I'm going to broadcast but again, I've kind of handicapped the field for you there. No easy walk in the park for a lot of these teams, particularly at University. We haven't really talked about Bridgeport yet. But With the win against Morgantown, Bridgeport will likely face Jefferson. That's a team that is getting a lot of attention on the state radar screen. They would probably face Martinsburg after that before even getting to the island. So if you're out of those first two seeds, the bracket is a really, really tough thing this year. There may be some upsets in Class AAA this year. I think we're going to see some really competitive teams and some teams that lose probably before they deserve to lose early in rounds earlier than you would have imagined them losing without seeing that bracket. I think Class AA is going to go a lot like Class A usually goes because you've got good teams in low seeds with Fairmont Senior as a 16 and Bluefield coming in as a 14. Fairmont Senior is going to go on the road to face Herbert Hoover. They're playing that game at the neutral side of University of Charleston Stadium. That's a Saturday afternoon kick. Poor Herbert Hoover. You go 10-0 and dominate Class AA, do the best you can to get ready for the playoffs, only to face a perennial favorite in Fairmont Senior. And the same with Point Pleasant as well, although Point Pleasant is pretty battle. Tested as a program over the last several years, and they're going to host Bluefield. Still not an easy first round matchup. Independent Shady Spring is going to be a really competitive 2 versus 15 game, I believe. So is Lincoln and Frankfurt. Frankfurt's normally up in the top tier of Class AA, and Lincoln's had a really strong season this year. I think Lincoln may be kind of a sexy pick in some regards. They come in as a four seed. If they win this, they'll either have Liberty Raleigh or Polka, and if they win that, they would go face maybe even Herbert Hoover if they're still standing. But I don't know. I think this is a bracket where a four seed may be beneficial to you. Number 11, Grafton, number 6 North Marion. I think is pretty evenly matched. So too is Roan County and Nicholas County. Again, good tough AA football teams that aren't in the top echelon of the class, but also aren't in the basement aren't a good solid team. So there's a good middle tier in class AA, and then what's unusual this year is you got elite programs coming in at really low seeds. Also, Scott and Robert Seabird, much of the same there. So I think it's going to be interesting to see if those low seeds come away with big wins. And I like Fairmont Senior's chances to do it. I'm not sure that I like Bluefield's because they got. Had a much tougher draw in the first round, I think, than Fairmont Senior. Sorry, Herbert Hoover. I'm going to go Fairmont Senior, making it all the way to Wheeling Island as a 16 seed this year. I know that's going to be an unpopular pick with a lot of people, but that's what I like. I think they beat Lincoln to do it, to be quite honest with you. I think Lincoln makes a run to the semis. And I'll go with Independence making a semifinal against Point Pleasant and give me Point Pleasant. So I'll say Fairmont Senior, Point Pleasant would be my Super Six matchup there. In Class A, you've got Cameron as a one seed host in Gilmer County. Rich County at two against Midland Trail. They're a team you can always look for. I think East Hardy has a tough draw because they'll host Meadowbridge. But then the team they would possibly host in week two is Williamstown. Comes in as number six. Ritchie County may have my favorite draw in the entire tournament. Is uh, Ritchie County hosts Clay Battelle, and then you're looking at either Sherman or Mount View in the second round. And then if Ritchie County gets the semifinals, does Cameron stick around? Because Cameron in the second round would have faced either Moorfield or Wheeling Central. If Wheeling Central holds serve and they beat Moorfield in the opening round, and then if they go on to upset Cameron. I hear Cameron's got a pretty big size advantage on Wheeling Central. But if Wheeling Central upsets them, Ritchie County would then get them in a semi, but at home. So that's a big advantage for the Rebels. Again, Mount View Sherman is 5 versus 12. Williamstown, the number 6, will host Greenbrier West. Trinity in it for the first time this year. They'll visit James Monroe. If they upset them, it's a trip to East Hardy, so you know, you're welcome to the playoffs. in Class A is not an easy one if you're Trinity. But, you know, like I said, and Wheeling Central, that 8-9 matchup. For my semi-final, I think it's Ritchie County and Wheeling Central, and I think the other side of that is Doddridge and Williamstown. I think we get a rematch in Doddridge County between Doddridge and Williamstown. You say, well, Doddridge is at home. I don't know if Williamstown gets by Doddridge in West Union, but remember, Williamstown will have Max Malesa, where they didn't have him last time these two teams played. So, how much of a difference does he make? Would he still be healthy two weeks into the playoffs? Who is healthy at that point? A number of things could happen by the time we even get to that game if we get there. And my Super Six matchup, the center. The mental side of me really wants to see Ritchie County and Williamstown make it there. Those two teams don't play in the regular season, and it's a matchup that I think a lot of LKC fans would like to see. I think you're just as likely to see Wheeling, Central, and Doddridge County. So really early to call that class as well. If I'm looking at a dark horse, a team that's seeded six or below in all three of these classes, number seven, Spring Valley, is a very, very tough seven seed for anybody to contend with, and they would give Martinsburg fits in a potential second-round matchup. In Class AA, easy to pick dark horses, but also hard to call Bluefield or Fairmont Senior dark horses. But again, Bluefield could surprise. So too could Fairmont Sr. And in Class A, another class where you could find a really easy dark horse. Sound's a 6. Do you call them a dark horse? No. Wheeling Central's an 8. Tough to call them a dark horse as well. But I think I will because I think Wheeling Central has a run in them. My favorite storyline in each class, really, in Class A and AA, it's the same thing. Do these good programs, these perennial programs that are in lower seeds, like Fairmont Sr. and Bluefield in AA, Wheeling Central in Class A, do they manage to shake things up and get to the title game? game? Or do these upper seeds prove that they belong? And then just the parity in Class AAA. Some really good teams are going to get knocked out a round or two earlier than they probably should if the brackets shake out a different way. Those are my favorite storylines in each class. My favorite games of the week in A: give me Fairmont Senior Herbert Hoover. That's just a juicy storyline. I also think Roan County, Nicholas County is going to be a competitive game in Class AA. In Class AAA, I think Morgantown Bridgeport's the game I would pay to see if I had to pay to see one, if I could pay to see one. Those two teams are going to run the ball a ton. The game might be over in about an hour and a half, but I think whoever executes the best is going to win there. Bridgeport can do other things than run the ball, but I think Bridgeport-Morgantown is going to be a slobber knocker. And then in Class A, Greenbrier West, I think, is going to give Williamstown some fits. So I think Greenbrier West-Williamstown uh, is one to watch, but I think the best potential matchups in Class A come in the second week. Taryn Malone has some thoughts on the playoff brackets and the local teams that are in. Taryn, what do you got for us this week?
2: Hey, Eric, here we are. The time is finally here for the 2021 West Virginia High School football playoffs. This week, I'm going to break down these brackets for everyone statewide and preview what we could expect for this week's matchups. First and foremost, I want to begin with my favorite storyline in each class. We start off in class single A. As I mentioned prior to the season beginning, I stated that the LKC will be more than likely well represented. We flash forward ahead and here we are. The LKC is very well represented with four programs in Gilmer County, Ritchie County, Doddridge County, and Williamstown for the postseason. In class double A, the main storyline is at the bottom half of the bracket, where Fairmont Sr. comes in as a number 16 seed in the Bluefield Beavers will be coming in as a number 14 seed. Note that both of these historic programs are in the opposite sides of the bracket. Finally, in class AAA, where Martinsburg is coming in as a number two seed, they're sitting at nine and one. The lone loss coming in from Spring Valley for the second straight year in a row. Also, there are three undefeated squads in class AAA. Number one, Huntington, number three, Bridgeport, and number four, University. All of which are are sitting at 10 and 0. Moving onward to the dark horses in each classification, we begin in class single A, where I have the number six Williamstown Yellow Jackets as a dark horse in class A. The Yellow Jackets take on a quality Greenbrier West team Saturday in Williamstown at 1.30 p.m. In class double A, I have number eight Robert C. Bird as a dark horse. I feel that they can make a deep playoff run in the class double A playing field this season if they bring their A game. In Class AAA, the team I have that could possibly pull off an upset in Round One would be Number Eleven Hurricane. The Redskins are six and four and have many quality wins across the board, and I feel that they could pull off a Round One upset over Jefferson. My Super Six prediction in Class Single A will be a regular season rivalry rematch between Doddridge County and Ritchie County. In class AA, I have a battle of Huskies as number one Herbert Hoover would take on number six North Marion in the class AA state championship game. And then finally, in class AAA, I have number one Huntington taking on number two Martinsburg. The best matchups on the board this week begin in class single A as the number nine seed Moorfield Yellow Jackets travel to Wheeling Island Stadium to take on number eight Wheeling Central Catholic. In class double A, it's a rare number 16 versus number one matchup as five and four Fairmont senior travels to Charleston to take on 10 and 0 Herbert Hoover. This game is not your typical week one matchup. This game is being played at the University of Charleston Stadium Saturday at 1:30 p.m. and the defending state champions in Fairmont Senior is looking to defend their state championship from a year ago. Finally the best matchup on the board in class AAA this week would have to be number 11 Hurricane as they take on number 6 Jefferson. This game will also be on Saturday. That was a look into the first round of the West Virginia playoffs. You can also follow me on social media this weekend as I cover number 11, Grafton, at number 6, North Marion, on Friday evening, and then also number 16, Fairmont Senior, versus number 1, Herbert Hoover, on Saturday as well. In Morgantown, I'm Tara Malone. For Metro News, Eric, back to you.
3: Thank you very much to our Metro News correspondent, Tara Malone. Games of the week on 7 Rangers Radio. Light Rock 93R has Saturday afternoon's clash between Ritchie County and Clay Battelle, while v V96- 96 has the Friday night battle between Parkersburg South and Martinsburg. Games of the week in the area. Give me River and Shady Side. Always juicy when those two teams meet up, especially when there's some stakes. It's the third round of the playoffs. That should be a fun one. Saturday night in Martins Ferry. Ritchie County Clay Battelle, I think is going to be competitive. It'll be interesting to see what Clay Battelle has and how they match up with the team of Ritchie County's caliber. Not sure that their schedule has been the toughest this year. They haven't played the teams of Ritchie's caliber, but then again, Ritchie hasn't played their toughest games since the first month of the season. Ritchie County's toughest test came early the season when teams like Tattle Consolidated, St. Mary's, and Doddridge County might not have been at their best either. And Williamstown, Greenbrier West, because Greenbrier West has such a playoff pedigree, these two teams have met a couple times in recent memory in the playoffs. I think Greenbrier West is going to come up and not be afraid of Williamstown to give them their very best shot on Saturday afternoon. New episodes drop every Wednesday. Rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. And again, download us on SoundCloud as well. We'll have much more to come next week. We will give you the fallout of the first round of the playoffs and set you up for quarterfinal action next weekend. So it's It's a fun time of the year. Buckle up. Stick with us. Thank you for joining us once again this week. My name is Eric Little. We'll talk to you next week, and we'll do it again on another episode of the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Enjoy the games, everybody.
1: This has been the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Don't forget to like us on Facebook. Come back next week for another new episode, and thanks for listening.